Welcome to Seek Justice, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the nuances of criminal justice. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Eric. How are you today? Pretty good. So one thing I want to talk to you about, uh, I, I heard a, a podcast recently, uh, the Invisibilia podcast out of WNYC, I think it is. And uh, they had this really well-reported in-depth episode where they talked about the community in Wilmington, Delaware, where uh, a couple of years ago there was this fairly famous case where this, uh, where this teenager got shot uh, because of his posts on social media, where, uh, where it's just these teenagers in the same way that all teenagers on Instagram or whatever are projecting their teenagers and, and grownups uh, and adults are, uh, you sort of project your ideal self, what you aspire to be. And these teens were posting, uh, you know, getting as close to uh, what they see in, in, in rap videos. Like whenever they, if they could borrow, you know, a lot of cash from their mother to briefly film a little thing where they're like lying on the bed and with a bunch of money, or if they can get a hold of, of some cousin's uh, gun, to you know, do some sort of threatening-looking uh, video because that's what they see in in pop culture, and so the, in this case, they uh, just these teens, you know, high school kids were posting these these escalating different things, and they sort of because of it because it's what they hear in in in, in rap songs, they uh, they sort of split up into these into these rival gangs, even though they weren't really gangs in any sense of, of the word, but this online thing escalated so much to the point where one of the kids actually got a, got a gun and, uh, and killed this other kid, uh, after school one day. And then the story went on to talk about how a bunch of these kids from these gangs, uh, you know, were arrested for, you know, because it's illegal to be in a gang or whatever. And their lawyers told them that their, their posts on social media that are total fabrications, uh, were going to be enough for a jury to probably convict them so that they should plead down to a, to a guilty to something else. And so these kids are going to prison for, you know, posting what they think is pop rap uh, imagery right. online. Right. And I wanted to talk to you about, you know, what's, how, how broken is the plea bargaining system that we are putting kids in jail for, for posing with money yeah. on Instagram? That seems well, to be messed up to me. Yeah, it's a it's a, a big question, and this very well could be an illustrative example of um, what's wrong with the system. It's somewhat dependent on what they were charged with, um, and they obviously weren't charged with posting stuff on media. They were charged with a crime, right? Of course, it might have been might have been assault, which is imposing uh, communication on someone in one way or another, which scares them. Wow, that's you, you can if I say. Hey, I'm going to punch you in the face. Just saying that is assault. Oh, absolutely. There's a difference between that Whoa. and assault and battery. So, oh. assault and battery would be you threatened behavior, language, etc., and then you acted on it. Assault actually is threatening behavior, and behavior can be defined as a verbal or probably in this case, uh, you know, social media, which of course would be a a new twist on it. But when you're when lawyers are determining the uh, whether or not a charge like that is realistic, where let's say I'm a, uh, you know, a 19 year old uh, woman and there's a 38 year old man that is 
banging on my door and, and, and wanting to get in and threatening me and has a gun, that's a pretty credible sure. uh, assault charge. But let's say that I'm a 26-year-old football player and a, a small uh, woman uh, tells me that, that she's so mad at me that she's going to kill me. Well, that's less credible. Right. That you'd actually be fearful, and the person who's communicating that threat is one to be feared. Um, so there's, you know, this is some pretty broad strokes here, but the 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 nature of the, the of the alleged criminal behavior itself is kind of the starting point for this, because, and it, and it's particularly applicable to this whole issue of plea bargaining, um, because plea bargaining uh, basically arranges. A, a plea of guilty for something that may or may not be particularly related to what the charge was. So wow. a better example is if I'm uh, arrested for robbery and robbery uh, means more or less, uh, you know, an in-person uh, attempt to steal uh, where you're taking it literally from the person. Right. Um, and what you end up because you're because you've got a record because it could be a lot of things. Your race is going to come into play in a lot of the plea bargaining uh, that we can touch on. But for a lot of reasons, the the prosecutor says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and allow a plea bargain in the case, if you're willing, to breaking and entering, which doesn't necessarily include personal uh, taking away of, of, of goods. And it's a lesser crime than, than robbery or armed robbery. And it's often, you know, uh, relatable. And so the fact of uh, can happen that a young person or any person who isn't uh, all that savvy about <laughs> the criminal justice system and the legality of all this stuff ends up pleading guilty to something they in fact didn't do uh, in exchange for not being tried uh, for the prosecuted or very little, very few things go to trial. Right. Uh, mostly it's going to be if, if it's not a plea bargain, it's a judge's sensing decision rather than a jury trial. But anyway, it gets into this whole nature of, of, how of how plea bargaining happens and then you end up let's say you go to prison for breaking and entering and you hear this person say i'm here for something i didn't do well in fact it's technically, technically correct true, right? that doesn't mean that you're an innocent person right it means that you may be innocent of that particular crime and in fact there's a whole nother dialogue we could have at another point you know in the future sometime about the the sloppy language that many people use when they describe what somebody's done or described rather than des describing them as a person. So they can say, looking at a person who's been in prison, they can say, you're a violent offender. Well, actually, you've been convicted of a violent offense. Right. That doesn't necessarily make you a violent offender. It, it would take a little bit more than one offense probably to, to say, well, you're hereby, uh, from now on, you're violent. Right. One, you know? one lie doesn't necessarily make you a liar. Well, and, and then in the, in the assessment of individuals and looking at data of, of who gets convicted and who goes to prison in the, in the reform work that I do, you often see a misunderstanding that, well, we have 25% of everybody who's in our prison system are nonviolent offenders. And, and really what they mean to say is that 25% of the people in prison have been convicted of a nonviolent offense. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean if, if I break violent. if I break and enter, it doesn't mean that I haven't been convicted of 15 uh, domestic violence cases. Right. And on the other side, if I'm convicted of a violent offense, 
but it's it was an outlier in that let's say I was drunk or doing drugs or somebody was pushing me or whatever right. it may be a rare event and so we get sloppy with our language and that may not matter much in general discourse but it starts to matter more when you're you're looking at media attention it matters a great deal when you're doing uh, analyses of data and so um, this whole thing about plea bargaining is partly at the root of that um, because it's where confusion is first kind of sowed. But anyway, all that, all that aside, here's, here's the opening point about plea bargaining, that it happens generally in about 98% of all the cases that go through our court system in the States. So it, it is a way, in fact, to speed things up and to move the process along so that people who are guilty of something plead guilty to something right. and the state gets their fair pound of flesh or more. Right. Um, and you don't have to delay the court system with a, a whole lot of time for deeper, uh, you know, back and forth with a victim and offender and sure. certainly avoid the, the great expense of a jury trial, for example, which is more of a rare case than a judicial sentencing. But here's the point. If there isn't plea bargaining, the system screeches to a halt, as it is now in every system across the country, and I've worked in, in many, the system already works very slowly and quite poorly. And that's with 98% of the cases being pled. Wow. Now, if, if we were to uh, throw a wrench in that work, in those works, then it would, it would be even worse. And so it's a, it's a very uh, challenging process. Um, and one which is very confused. It, it's also um, <clears throat> made more complicated by the fact that prosecutors are generally much better funded, more resources, more staff, et cetera, than defense attorneys. And so while prosecutors have got their hands on a case for a good while, if you're in a system where you're assigned a public defender because you don't have enough money to pay for an attorney, which is a constitutional right in, 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 a, in, in our country, um, then you're very likely to get introduced to the guy who's going to defend you literally moments before the case begins its processing. And that person may not know much, but what that person is going to be very good at, what that public defender is going to be very good at, is He's reaching telling a you plea. How to, telling you right. what to plea. And, and that's when defense attorneys say, look, fair or unfair, this is what you've got going against you in the case that you're describing while you're 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 claiming that you're innocent that you didn't mean it when you were threatening through this video that you were going to kill somebody that it was a joke or it was just a, a farce the evidence that the judge or the jury will see or have seen in the case of the judge show you with a gun with money and it's credible right and therefore you know we could take the time uh, to go through all this but at the end of it if you push this and you don't take this offer of a, of a plea bargain and get just catch a little bit of time, you know, we'll plead guilty and you'll get a year, but you'll get off for your pretrial time. You'll get off for good time, you know, time served and all that. You'll be in and out of there in five months. Yeah, if you still. press this, if you press this, you're facing 10 and you don't want to piss off the judge and you don't want to piss off the system, quote unquote. Therefore, I got to tell you, with everything I've heard and seen, you ought to take this flea bargain. And, and the, the person very well could say, I don't get it. I, I didn't do it. Yeah. And, and, and so it, you know, and so what ends up happening is a, 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 a normal regular person in the, in the public 
assuming for a second that you're normal or regular, <laughs> will walk away from hearing this and say, like you said, well, this kid is going to go to prison or these kids are going to go to prison because they posted stuff on social media that was meant as a farce, but really was was taken more seriously. That's actually probably not true. That's not what they went to prison for. Well, it's, probably not what they were charged with either. Yeah, my understanding was they were charged with, uh, you know, organized gang activity or something like that. But I don't know well, if that's sure. which which actually which actually could be true, depending on what the the definition is on the books in the code right. sure. of what constitutes criminal activity. Now, here again is another spot where we get into all sorts of challenges and, and issues in the justice system because the laws themselves may be creating a definition of a crime which is so broad and so general that different applications, different different uh, occurrences or circumstances could very well uh, be applicable to that particular law because you could drive a truck through that explanation. Right. If gang activity was, you know, organized activity with two or more individuals right. with the intent of uh, extorting or threatening sure. uh, behavior in order to improve your circumstances in life. Right. Well, you know, you could drive a truck through that and there you could apply that. The, 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 that's why you hire an attorney because a hire an attorney can say, I've looked at this law. It's vague. I've looked at case law, yeah. which shows a, a hundred times that the law has been applied and 60 times when it, when the law was, when, when the application of the law resulted in, in a, a verdict of not guilty because the law was found to be so broad in the circumstances to be so, uh, you know, outside, you know, uh, what, you know, they would call, uh, the, the common opinion of the common man. I mean, that's a lot of what law is supposed to do is right, say, right, right. look, just on the face of it, does this make sense, et cetera. And that becomes the persuasive point to the judge to say, and then you file for a case to dismiss or whatever. And so that's why you hired a lawyer in the first place. And this is the, so the other complication and, and one of the reasons we have plea bargain is because if you want to, you want to get in the weeds, look at what criminal law code says. And if you want to look at the criminal law, you better have room on your bookshelf because this is going to be volumes and volumes and volumes and volumes of stuff right. that are individual laws that are totally inconsistent with each other, which you put on the books, like, like a shotgun repeated attempts by different legislators who are reacting perhaps to the crime of the day, right. wanting to make the news, may not have any research, may not have any idea whatsoever, may have no law background whatsoever, but you don't have to be a lawyer to be a, a legislator. And yet they're the ones that legislate these laws. You've heard, of course, the call for reform to the criminal code. You hear that in the states, you hear that across the country at the federal level. Well, this is where all of this starts. It, it all gets back to what we've talked about and again and again on these podcasts is the political nature yeah. of the criminal justice so-called system, beginning with the politics of what it takes and, and why people pass particular laws. And then with this uh, incredible volume of laws on the books with a lot of vagueness and, 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 and just absurdity, frankly, in some cases, yeah, yeah. that that's where it all starts. And plea bargaining then is almost a logical next step, right? And so who's making money off that and what's the capitalistic gain and how does all that work? And, you know, on and on. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like some of these laws, because they're so vague, they can be, you know, applied whenever they, whenever the people in charge want to. Like, like I don't know, a lot of, a lot of stuff that's all, you know, 14 year olds get up to in their neighborhoods 
probably could be, you know, there's some law that could be applied to uh, to that or something. I don't sure. know. Like, well, well, and consider, you mentioned 14 year olds. I mean, consider the laws in this country at what age people can be tried as adults. I mean, the, the brain science will is, is clear on the point that the male brain, uh, which you and I reportedly have, uh, re, you know, we weren't we didn't have mature brains until we were 25, 26 years old. Yeah. And we we're still maturing. And, and anything up until that point, one could say, well, you know, you, you've got an immature decision-making apparatus in your body and, and therefore you know it's sort of like you know if you're if you're thinking about what a 12 year old does or an 11 year old does let's say 11 year old is finds a, a a fake gun right and is waving that fake gun at a at a uh, at an adult right and says repeats what he heard in a video you know moments yeah. ago and it says you know i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot you in the in the face you bastard right right and you know can the adult then charge this kid with assault because he was literally afraid he thought it was a real gun? And well, that sounds kind of absurd. Yeah, okay? sure does. Well, yeah, but then turn it into a 21 year old with with a with with a fake gun or even for that matter, a, a real gun. But there was some joke intended or whatever. Right. Not funny. But, you know, the, the one of the defenses could be for the 21 year old is this is an immature 21 year old. And and his judgment is is really not ready for prime time. And, you know, and, and so when you change the age of the circumstance, right, it, it, it becomes less absurd. But know this, that 14 year old could not only be tried for that crime in many states, could be convicted as adult and be sentenced to the adult prison system. In some states, that age is as, as low as 12. Holy. And if that and if that 12 year old has that fake gun or has a, a real knife or whatever and takes it to school and threaten someone that that is, a, you know, it sounds just in that brief description, like a serious enough uh, behavior would warrant some interaction. Well, it's up to the, the, the decision makers in the justice system, the prosecutors specifically, as to whether they treat that in juvenile court or whether they treat that in adult court. And there's two different purposes. Juvenile court uh, is about taking care of kids. It's about the state acting as a parent. Right. In the light of an obvious need for some additional parental control. Uh -huh. So there's that's the theory behind it. It's called the parents patriae, where the, the state is acting as the parent. And in this case would, it, 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 you know, would probably say, look, uh, you need some counseling. You've got to understand more clearly uh, why this threatening behavior can't happen. We have to get into some level of therapy to understand what's going on in your life. Is there threatening stuff going on in your home, et cetera? But it takes on a, a, a more of a social work aspect where in the adult system, it's not like that at all. There is so, certainly a social work aspect to the adult system, but that's not what it's about. It's about retribution. It's about punishment. It's about, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of different things. Right. So, you know, it, again, it gets it gets it gets pretty complicated and and it's all gets down to in the instant of decision a lot of judgment calls on the, on the part of, of the prosecutors, the lawyers, et cetera, judges, et cetera, as to how they're going to come down on one side or the other, the other, on one side of the law or the other. I mean, you've heard that term. Well, don't, don't think that one side of the law means it's one side or the other side. Like there's two sides. There's not, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a rubric's cube of sides, right. You know? Um, and so this too then plays into the, the, the issue of, of, of plea bargaining, et cetera, you know, and, and a good lawyer is going to say, look, you're looking at an 18 year old here who's doing this stuff on video. And while that 18 year old is 
is uh, uh, old enough to go to war, which is a whole nother issue, right? Jeez. They're not old enough to drink. They're not old enough to drive in the eyes of the law. They're in many laws. They're not an adult yet in this law. They're considered an adult. And, and you know, I don't we don't think that, that that this is right for all these reasons. Well, that's why you hire a lawyer. That's why you may end up with a plea bargain, you know, and so it, it is uh, it is such a massive imbroglio of complications. But but to, to tie this back to something that may be more interesting than me droning out about this is the fact that how are laws made in the first place and why, you know, and is that legislator who gets on the evening news right. and and says, because of this thing that happened in my community last night, I'm going to go ahead and I wrote a law and I'm going to legislature and I'm going to go ahead and pass this law, which is going to be tough, tough, tough on anybody who does this again. And let's say that the reporter is pretty good and says that the argument against this is there's already many laws in the books. It's already illegal. Right. There's already punishments. The law is only uh, effective or invoked X percentage of time. And then the legislator is going to be interviewed and can say, I don't care about that because I'm tough on crime <sighs> and I'm going to put this on the books and I'm going to make sure that it never happens again. Well, then no, then it doesn't make sure it's not ever going to happen again. No, sure. Not at all. And in <laughs> fact, it 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 it. it it proposed the theory there is one of general deterrence where because there's a new tough law in the books that okay the 18 year old or the 17 year old oh, i'm sure he's reading all the legislation oh who's about ready to do something is going to say oh well i saw you know this new law in the books i better think twice about this that's just well, absurd that the the, the 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 science behind criminal activity you know it, it you know it gets at this issue of to what degree are you thinking like a criminal criminal thinking is kind of uh, the kind of thinking where if you throw a, a pebble in the water, yeah. a true criminal thinking person will not expect there to be ripples. It's like they won't expect that there's implications from their actions. Consequences, right. Right. And so it's like, you know, consequences be damned. They don't even think of them. They just immediately move to the behavior and say, hell yeah, I want to get in your car and smoke that joint and drink that beer and and go wherever. And I don't care that I know that the kid in the back seat has got a gun. Let's go. Sounds like fun. Right. Not thinking at all about the implications and, and being more concerned about, you know, feeling good, et cetera, and not being concerned about not flashing, for example, in your mother or your kid or somebody that could be hurt by you being, you know, by you getting in trouble. But, you know, that also that type of criminal thinking, that's immature thinking. Right. Sure. We've, we've all done, I mean, not necessarily that exact thing, but something that was ill, you know, if you look back on, was not a good idea to do and potentially dangerous and could well, hurt other and, people. Well, but, and, and sure. Well, and, and, and look too, Eric, at, at, at what, uh, what kind of behavior that, that teenagers do all the time right. that actually may be criminal. And depending on your circumstance, you're either going to get, let, let's say that, that, you know, in, 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 in circumstance A, You've got a, 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 a kid that uh, looks a certain way, acts a certain way, did a, did a crime. And then in, uh, in, in case B, you have the exact same crime, the exact same circumstance, but the characteristics are different. Right. You but, got your, you know, your, your one, rich white right. kid or your, or your poor black kid. Who's well, going to get not, the... Not, not necessarily rich, but, sure. but just, just, stay with, just stay with white or black to begin sure. with. Sure. And, and also look at neighborhoods, et cetera. I mean, when I grew up when, you know, in a small town, you know, very small as a white kid, you know, in a, in a middle class neighborhood. I was picked up by the police uh, a dozen times. And, 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 and then I wasn't picked up by the police. I, I broke into abandoned buildings. I did all sorts of stuff that was illegal. Right. But what happened in my circumstance was I either wasn't caught 
or if I was caught, the cops took me home. And they gave you a warning. Yeah, don't do yeah, that anymore. You know, and, and they knew they knew Don or they knew right. my uncle or whoever. And but but if but if they if they had some particular motivation like uh, racism or that or that they had a beef with with your uncle, uh, then they could have thrown the book at you and really messed up your life. Sure. Well, and it it, it and it may not it, it may not be all that um, dark. You know, uh, it, it, it's just simple human behavior that if 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 I'm in a cruiser and I'm cruising the streets and it's three in the morning and I see uh, a kid with an open can of beer stumbling down the street, if I tell that kid to walk over in two different circumstances, the kid walks over or the cop gets out of the car, says halt or whatever, yeah. and, and, and the kid is responsive and obedient. If the policeman knows the kid or knows the family, right. that's one circumstance. And if and, and if that kid comes from a family that looks like the cop's family, uh-huh. there's a recognition. Yep. There's a cultural resonance. Sure. Now, but, but let's say it's not me. Let's say that it's a Puerto Rican kid yep. in, in the neighborhood in, in my hometown that over time was growing in its numbers and was, was dangerous. There was an inordinate amount of, of police assignment for that neighborhood. Instead of one cruiser going through the neighborhood every hour and a half, maybe there were two. So you're going to see twice as much stuff. These are all issues that lead to racial disparity. Sure. But but look at it from the terms of human nature. If the, the cop well, of course, says of course. to the Puerto Rican kid and, and, and says, I don't know you, I don't know your family, you're, you're speaking in, in, in broken English, yep. if there's no prejudices. Sure, exactly. Right? It's just a matter of, well, I don't know you, and so picture the cop in my circumstance saying, well, you know, I feel relatively safe going to his home and knocking on his door at three in the morning and getting his parent out of bed, <laughs> as opposed to, I don't know where this Puerto Rican kid lives. He lives in a, in a so-called bad neighborhood. Right. I, I'm scared. I'm nervous as I, my training says I should be to walk up to a door and knock on the door at three in the morning and not know what to expect on the other side. Uh-huh. And so in order to even go to the door, I need backup. And so, it, it, you know, wow. so one kid you handle as, frankly, most cases are handled. And I'd, I'd be hard pressed right now to put my finger on this data, but I know that there, it's common sense. But there's also data to show there's a high degree of uh, informal action on the half of police officers to deal with a, a parent or alleged crime. Good. They can handle They've got they use their judgment, right. formal or informal. Well, one of the reasons that you go formal is because you don't know the circumstances of who's behind that door when you knock on the door and you say, you know what, I'm going to take the safer route. I'm going to book the kid Uh and we'll have somebody come down to the police station. Well, that may make, you know, in a lot of circumstances, that makes sense. So it's not because the the cop is racist. Sure. uh, Or it, it may be in spite of that, but it just gets down to human nature. That's why when you are reading and listening to uh, issues related to to the police, and how they handle these circumstances where in our country, of course, in the past several years, we've seen so much uh, additional brutality. The, the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. stemming from an incredible number of irrefutably, uh, you know, egregious uh, actions of shooting sure. uh, people like, you know, sh- shoot first, ask questions later. All of that driven by that. One of the things that you hear is, well, you've got police forces that their makeup their racial makeup is so unlike the community where they're policing yeah. that it's ripe sure. for this dissonance, you know, but, you know, so take the same circumstance that we're describing here, issue A, issue B, but put a Puerto Rican cop in the car. 
who can speak Spanish. Uh Well, what's going to happen? I mean, that cop is going to be better prepared to deal with the Puerto Rican kid, but also in many respects, better prepared to deal with the white kid as well. Yep. Right. Because with the white kid, the Puerto Rican cop isn't going to be any more fearful than the white cop about what would happen when he goes to the to the door of the white parents. So he'll do that. But he'll also do it with the Puerto Rican kid because he can say, yeah, for all, you know, in the circumstance we're describing here, I grew up in that neighborhood or maybe I know your parents. But that this all gets down to that. And so, you know, it's the, the every time we talk about the justice system, which, of course, we talk about it every week, <laughs> it, it's it's this it's this this notion that we talked about before of, of trying to capture these issues. You know, it's like capturing jello with chicken wire. Right. That when you start to squeeze and try to control one area, it just squirts out someplace else because it's that complicated. So this idea that you hear more and more and I saw some news last week um, yesterday, in fact, in uh, Connecticut, where I was I was just in in in, uh, in Hartford last week and in in Connecticut, I think it was in Hartford, Van Jones, you know, well-known criminal justice advocate, worked for Obama administration. I was CNN most most well-known for his role on CNN as a commentator. He had a meeting with the new governor, Governor Lamont, and a, a, a couple of uh, formerly incarcerated people because there's this new national movement that he and some uh, you know, wealthy entertainers and others have put together. It's very, very, uh, very thoughtful, I think. But they came in to, to have these discussions. And I could, I could talk an hour about who was there and who wasn't there and whether or not that makes any sense to do with what they're trying to organize. But at the end of the day, you, you look at what efforts are needed to reform criminal justice, and the question becomes, oh, my God, where do I start? Right. Because There's so many different... every single facet of it, and, and it gets to all, all, all of these, these different issues. One may say we should start with public education, right? Because yeah. the myths, if, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, and what the media does drives a lot of public opinion. And when you see on the newscast, every day you turn on the news— that you're seeing young uh, brown and black men arrested and in charge with their faces on the screen again and again and again. And you don't understand anything about the way the system works or the disparity that exists in the system at all steps. I can talk with some right. length sometime about how disparity is a creeping thing that happens at every step in the process. But if you don't understand that, you're going to be easily moved towards some very prejudicial opinions. And, 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 and one would argue that, that the media could care less because it's what's it's, you know, it's selling commercial time and it's selling newspapers, which are becoming you know less and less the, the way that people learn about stuff. Right. But you can stay on social media all the time. I mean, it's it's um, I mean, it's just a huge set of complicated issues. It's almost like we need some really entertaining uh, television show to teach the. You know, to, to educate people about this. Like, for example, the uh, the serial podcast. Have you heard of that? No. It's uh, this. It came. It was made also by the people at WMIC, I think, um, and it became the most uh, the biggest podcast by uh, by a long margin uh, a couple years ago when it came out. And uh, it's it, it it's a uh, the the first season was they were examining a a case where. A uh, a teenager allegedly murdered his girlfriend, and they the the reporters really dug into all the details of that case, and it was really quite fascinating. And but it brought that case to national attention in a way that uh, good entertaining reporting can. And 
in the third the third season that that just finished is um, was pretty amazing. They spent a whole year in the Cleveland uh, courthouse, basically, and examined exactly how why people were coming in, uh, their plea bargains, and what was happening to them when they went to prison and stuff like that. It was it's very very fascinating, but. It, so I guess what I'm suggesting is we need some sort of entertaining uh, way to get this information out, out to the public or, or yeah. something. Because we know that if it bleeds, it leads is entertaining because, you know, you know the news is entertainment more right. than a public good. Well, but, that's, that, that's a good point. And I think the public awareness is the biggest issue to address because if it weren't for the public and their opinion – on being tough on crime and their lack of knowledge and appreciation of, you know, frankly, the, the lack of relationship between imprisonment and the reduction of crime, for example, right. that they are susceptible then to the politician who says to them and, 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 and feeds on that misperception and says, I'm going to be the toughest guy on crime ever. And I don't care if I lock these people up for the rest of their life. I'm not going to have this in my community. And that's a lot of, of, of what drives it. Right. The the how how we get at these perceptions in 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 this year and time and in, in our lives I think does get in fact to not only the the need for it to be entertaining but also for the need for it to be brief and and if you're thinking of 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 that then who is best able to convince in a very short period of time that your opinion is driven by a myth. And I want to change that myth, therefore change your opinion. I've seen research in, in public opinion, which is pretty common to understand, is that someone armed with the facts can change the mind of someone who doesn't have facts right. in less than two minutes. You just have to know and be good at communicating quickly what the facts are and do it in a way which is not threatening, but which is productive, which in your parlance may be more entertaining, more interesting. Sure. It's so... That's one of the reasons that Van Jones and then the, 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 the group of entertainers, and I, we can you know get a link to, to all this detail on this to, to get an idea, but that's why those people have got some power of persuasion, because people are going to listen to them. Right, because they're you know, a known celebrity. They're so. known commodity, and they're, they're known to be uh, erudite or, or intelligent. Van Jones is, is a good example. He's, an, he's very uh, well-known as a very uh, you know, lucid, educated uh, very, you know, verbally astute, very convincing, just a wonderful, wonderful, uh, uh, a person with a lot of great skills. Um, and as an African-American man, he's able to talk to one of the most important audiences who has a huge amount of myth yes. about the justice system with his other African-Americans. Yep. The, the conservative African-American population are some of the, they have some of the worst myths and many of those myths are racially charged right. and not positive toward African-Americans. And so one, a, a, a little known fact is that, that I mentioned earlier, the, um, the, 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 the idea of police forces apply a certain level of resource to a community that you right, know, right, right. operationally one, one car, two cars, two cruisers, whatever frequency, et cetera, number of bodies, any on the street, any on bikes, et cetera. Well, one of the reasons that African-American neighborhoods often have a higher resource is because they have more calls from the people there asking for police presence. Huh. And that is done by African-Americans in those neighborhoods 
who are as fearful or more fearful of crime as the, of the people in white neighborhoods. And so it's, it's not simply that, you know, this decision emanates from the police force <laughs> and, and it's driven by any number of, of myths or realities. I tend to, to think that police resource allocation is much more scientific than prejudicial, to say the least, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in my experience, because these men and women are, are, are well-trained and often have some pretty smart uh, people running things, managers and, and whatnot. But nonetheless, you know, the, the perceptions that drive those resources may be faulty. And so w w one, might, one might, you know, discern that the fundamental issue that we really do need to start with is public education, because that in turn drives what politicians say and do, and that in turn is what drives a criminal code and, you know, on and on. So if you're chipping away at the mountain, you know, start to chip away at the very base of it, you and, know, which is the biggest part of the mountain, which is public, the lack of public awareness and information. And by public education, you don't just mean in school, you mean with all the media, like I was suggesting. Yeah, yeah. Which is, and you know, in newspapers, newspapers and, and news reports are, are, are some of the worst. Right. But they're also the place where you can get FaceTime. I mean, we when we were trying to change public perception in Michigan, we met with the editorial boards once a year and all the major newspapers in the state in a very private, cordial, uh, behind closed doors setting where we just talk facts to the editorial writers. And then based on that conversation, they'd write something. And the something they wrote uh, 99 percent of the time was not only positive about what we were trying to do, but broke through some of those myths. Nice. And an editorial gets a lot of space in a newspaper and it's not just it's not going to be on the front page, although at the top of the fold, at the very top of the newspaper, it might say, see editorial, why, you know, why our criminal justice system doesn't work, which will get you into the, sure. you know, section B, which then when you open up section B, it is on the front top fold because right. that's and it's usually with a more you know powerful uh uh, head headline, et cetera. So there's some ways to get at that. And also, you know, if, if Van Jones comes into town, he's going to make the news. Sure. He's going to make the news. And if a rock star comes in and, you know, holds a press conference, they're going to, they're going to be surrounded by microphones. Right, right, right. You know, but, but you've got to fight that against what's happening in the other media. <sighs> I mean, you want to listen to some crazy shit, listen to, to, to the rap music that the gangsters are, are writing right. and singing. And it's, it, to someone that isn't in that vein of understanding, you know, the, the, the feeling behind that and the, the, you know, what they're after in terms of, of um, your emotional response to the music, et cetera, you could be scared, obviously, listen to that, listening to that. And, and that's, I mean, you're going to hear a whole lot more of that than you are a newscast from Van Jones. Yeah. And one of the, uh, one of the things that the, in the, in the case with the, uh, with the kid that got shot that we started with uh, was, a lot of these really threatening stuff that was posted on Facebook or whatever, you know, there was a very clear threat, and the, the the reporter said, "Okay, this is not okay. This this is a clear threat." And she went to interview one of the one of the kids' friends, and they said, "Yeah, he's just posting rap lyrics. That's what kids do." And like he, they went directly to the song and said, "Look, this thing that looks super threatening. That's just a rap lyric that he thinks sounds cool." It's almost like, what if we could. Could you get a pro, you know, criminal justice education rapper? That probably yeah. wouldn't, you know. Yeah, and it wouldn't sell. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and so just think of this. So now we're, we're, we think about the imbroglio, all right? We'll take take the 14-year-old or the 15-year-old that's li listening to rap, and let's go back 10 years 
to when the kid is five. Yeah. And what is that kid saying on television? What is that kid saying in cartoons? What is that kid listening to? What? How many scenes of rape and violence has that child look, looking at? Because he's in a household where the people watch a lot of television and they, they see the stuff. And, you know, what, right. what, what, what is that child seeing in his or her own neighborhood that, that makes saying things and doing things like this normal right. and okay? And how do we how do we get at that? And you you read about this kind of stuff all the time, and 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 you, you read the the music industry being you know held to some degree of accountability for what they're doing, and and it it, it isn't it, it isn't possible, frankly, to rein it in. Instead, you no. have to add to it. Right. Exactly. Nothing, you know, you have to add to it. And how are you going to add to it in a way that's going to overcome this tsunami yeah. of stuff that happens every day and every and, you know in most of most of these households and in particularly when you're in homes where the television is w one of the only babysitters that you have. Yep. You, you may be in a single family home that the television's got to be going. You're working two jobs. Your kids come home from school. They, they're 12 and 13. They've they got to be on their own. Yep. And what are they doing when they're on their own? And, and they're doing what, as you've said several times, what any teenager will do. Well, that's the case. Yeah. But here's the thing, what any teenager will do in 20, 2019 is pretty different than what any teenager, any teenager would do in 1958. Yep. You know, there just wasn't the, 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 the curtain, the, the wall, the floodgates, the tsunami of all of this negative stuff that, that they're subjected to. And, 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 then, and then think about the direction of, so what happens when aberrant behavior like this takes place in school, grade school, seventh grade, eighth grade? What do the schools do? They kick the kid out. Right. And then where's the kid go? Yeah. And, you know, and, and then the kid, let's say that the kid that they kick out, one of the reasons that he or she is acting out is because they really are not very uh, good at school. And maybe they've got attention deficit disorder. They can't sit still. Yeah. You know, and, and, and frankly, the science would would say, well, you know, sometimes there's kids that you got to teach that those kids are going to learn better when they're up walking around. Well, that ain't going to happen. Right. That ain't going to happen. You know, and, and, and different kids with different uh, characteristics can't be in, in, in a loud environment and they can't concentrate when they are. And, and that ain't going to happen. You know, and so what happens in the schools is they kick the kids out and then the kids are kicked out of school. Well, what happens then? That's the, the school dismissal is a pipeline to the juvenile justice system. Of course. And the juvenile justice system is a pipeline to the adult system. Yep. So where do we go back? You remember me saying that one of the most effective crime fighting measures is health care, particularly in single parent homes yep. that has longitudinal 20, 30 year positive effects. That's where we got to go back to. So it's this idea. We probably could come up with a better analogy than on this than the than the, uh, you know, the, the, the jello and the, and the, uh, the chicken wire. And just think about this continuum, uh, a space time continuum where, you know, you get caught in the vortex of this amazing amount of activity that's out there that you're fighting against and you you you, you you're going to feel helpless yeah yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a vicious cycle for sure next week on seek justice we discuss racial disparity in the criminal justice system and I, I won't say it was surprising but it was kind of unpredicted is that we see racial disparity at every part of the justice system and in the locations where we looked we didn't see one part any more responsible than another part thank you for listening 
If you like what you've just heard, you can support us by telling a friend or sharing us on social media. All of our episodes can be found on our website, seekjustice.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be reached at seekjusticefm at gmail.com or via our Twitter account, at seekjusticefm. See you next week.